Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Welcome to the Global Marketing Show. Today's tidbit from Rapport International is going to educate you a little bit. It's a little history about language. So many linguists believe that language originated around 100 BC, so many years ago, which makes sense because humans need to communicate. Early languages evolved, changed, branched out, and went extinct. Yet one of the oldest languages still spoken today originated around the 10th century BC, and it's spoken by over 9 million people in the world today. Can you guess what that language is? Certainly let me know if you got it right. But the language, if you didn't know, is Hebrew. It's the official language of Israel. So I started out with a tidbit about education today because we've got somebody who has a business in education. He's got a business in exchange programs. He's had his hand in running hotels and he runs a digital marketing agency. And all of this touches on international. Steve Lowy says he's worked in hotels for many years and he founded Umi Digital to support the hotel and travel sector. He's worked with all sorts of companies from game reserves in the Congo, which is where I want to go, to luxury hotels in London. So Steve, welcome to the Global Marketing Show. Uh, thank you very much and thank you for the invite. Yeah, I'm very excited to hear your story because, of course, it touches on so many things international. So why don't you talk me through a little bit about where you got started and then what led you into all these different paths that you are in now? Sure, yeah. So I studied hospitality and tourism at university, did hospitality and tourism management, and had a real passion actually for food, which I still do, mainly cooking, but sort of dreamt of, of opening a restaurant one day. After university, I worked a bit and then I went traveling around the world for a year. So I went through Southeast Asia, lived and worked in Australia for six months, went through the South Pacific across America and got a bug for hospitality more broadly and obviously travel because that was really what I was doing most of the time and ended up running a backpackers hostel in London, which had over 500 beds in a very international market. So that at the age of 24 was my first management role in, in accommodation. And then from there, I set up my own budget hotel chain where we ended up opening in London, Brighton and Moscow. So when you talk about language, that's a whole different uh, ball game. And as we grew that hotel brand, I'd learned a lot from doing the hostel. It was an Australian brand and they were very, for a youth travel product, they were very heavy branded. It was very clever. And the importance of brand, even if it was a small brand and the importance of marketing, particularly digital, was really an era, so 2004 to 2007, where things really changed. I think people's travel trends changed, how they booked flights and accommodation, where they were doing more stuff online rather than through a travel agent in person. And sort of self-taught myself SEO and, and paid, paid you know, AdWords, a paid search. 
at that time because I felt it was a really cost-effective way of get, getting more business and not paying commission to travel agents, basically. And the hotel brand, which was called Umi Hotels, it was really centered around one, giving young people opportunities to work in the hotel, attracting a younger crowd at that sort of budget level, but also a great focus on, on direct business, people booking direct through your own website, which you will see today, all the big hotel brands shout about book direct, book direct, book direct. In reality, it was much easier to do then than it is now because less there's more people now who are skilled in online marketing than there were, you know, 2007 to 2010. But when we launched in Moscow, I realized I couldn't just do the marketing myself with an intern from a coffee shop at the hotel in London. And we created a digital out of that with um, initially to be the, the marketing department for Umi Hotels. But increasingly, I was being probably too generous with giving people advice in a pub or a cocktail party or a conference. And we decided that we can monetize that. And then you know, we kept a lot of the core brand beliefs as we did with Umi Digital, with Umi Hotels, which was giving young people opportunities. So our CEO of Umi Digital now is a former intern who worked as an intern six years ago. He's running the company. You know, I'm, I'm sort of chairman of that. And also basically driving direct business and, you know, uh, giving that opportunities. So that's, that's how I got into it. And, and I guess with the hostel, we had 500 units to sell a day you know, 500 beds. And I really just loved digital marketing. I loved all the data that you could get, even though it was quite minuscule at the time. You know, Google Analytics hadn't really launched in the UK yet. It was a very different world with regards to digital marketing. And I sort of seemed to get it, you know, seemed to understand it and, and, and just have always really enjoyed it. That's fantastic. Yeah. And a 500 bed hostel is, backpackers hostel is huge. So it that's is. a lot of the beds to fill. <laughs> Luckily, you had a good location for that. Yeah, we were in we were in Paddington, pretty central London, so that was good. But yeah, it, it was it was tough, and I learned a lot about youth travel and how even then young people traveled and booked, and you know now doing the educational piece. Although young people book and travel completely differently to when I did, or even the generation after me. You know, I backpacked around the world with a Lonely Planet guide yes. when I left the UK. Google wasn't even launched in the UK properly. Yeah. Everyone used Yahoo. And when I came back a year later, I was using Yahoo and everyone was like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, it's, you know. And, and, and I guess that was my realisation point of how things were changing and how things were going to change even quicker going forwards. So, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating because I remember using the book. It wasn't The Lonely planet but it was a different one and you'd show up and then you'd look through the list to see what was there to yeah. find your hostel now it's completely different it is and i think from a marketing perspective one of the challenges the things i still like to do you know i i am one of those people who searches you're told you're invited you're going to a restaurant you search the menu in advance mm -hmm. you take away that excitement and I think that has actually put more pressure on the hospitality businesses, hotels, restaurants, and so forth, because you don't have, if you're a luxury hotel, there was huge amounts of excitement and mystique. You'd see a little advert. Now you turn up, you know, you've seen a video, you've seen the drone footage. You have to surprise in different ways. And so I think when I started out, it was easier to surprise. And I think as long as they're good surprises, I think we all like surprises. We like the sense of adventure because humans do. And I think that's changed the dynamic in the relationship between the customer journey and the customer experience when they arrive at that 
destination, whether it be a local restaurant or, or, or a hotel abroad. Okay, so let's go back to you. You open a hotel in Moscow. Why Moscow? And what did you run into with the language issues there? Yes, so it was a very modern story. 2009, I got a message on Facebook from a friend from school who I hadn't seen in probably eight or nine years. And he said, I'm living in Moscow. Me and a couple of partners are opening up a small hotel. We love what you're doing with Umi Hotels. We've been featured on CNN and a few, we've got some really good PR. And would you be interested in helping us? And, you know, uh, this is pre-UMI Digital, where I realise you can't just help everyone, you, someone's got to charge. I actually flew over to Moscow for t- 24 hours, 48 hours, in the middle of their winter. I, being very British, we're not very good at dressing for the cold. I turned up with no overcoat and no, I didn't check the, the temperature. And uh, yeah, I just found it pretty, pretty amazing. Hoping that one day I could be on a podcast and say that I'd open a hotel in Moscow. Which <laughs> Your dream has uh, come true. <laughs> the dream has come true. It was, it was a very small hotel, a 10 bedrooms, about a 10 minute walk from Red Square. So amazing location. And in Moscow, I don't know if you've been or, or heard much about it. Obviously, we're hearing a lot of bad stuff at the moment, which is also not as surprising as one thinks. Was that there was very little budget accommodation in central Moscow, particularly the sort of the tourist areas. And so, you know, the Hyatt there, when I, we went, it was like a thousand dollars a night. You know, the rates were very high. There just wasn't that much westernized stock. There was a lot of old communist hotels and, and so forth. So I just thought it was really interesting. So we created a pretty much a, a sort of soft brand uh, partnership agreement, similar to how Best Western do it with a lot of their hotels. And we created a hotel. Um, and so we did the website, we, I did all the training, we set up all the internal technology. And what was interesting from a, a language perspective is one, I'm dyslexic, so learning languages is really hard unless you immerse yourself. So when I worked in restaurants when I was younger, I picked up all lots of bad words in lots of different languages from just being there, not from reading in a book. I can't learn off, off that. But and, and interestingly, the target market wasn't as Russian as one would have thought, but it was certainly a challenge, particularly at that time where you didn't have automatic Google Translate and all the other tools that you have now to make user experience online better. And so we had to really be clever with how we did that. And also what we found at the time and a lot of the business transactions we did there, and some of it included working with Russian travel agents sending people to the UK, was I often had to do it via a translator. And that's something that, you know, being from the English speaking world, and I'm sure you've had it, Wendy, that you often don't even think about language where you go anywhere because everyone assumes everyone speaks English. But in in Russia, that certainly wasn't the case. And depending on the transaction or the deal we were looking to do, some people felt very uncomfortable doing it in English. And so therefore you had to do it through a translator in Russian and therefore you had to have that trust. And we say things very differently. I always tell the story of the hotel didn't actually have its own catering facilities, but we had a cafe next door. And there's this great cafe. And I went there one morning after we'd done the deal and I was preparing for a day of training the staff on technology and marketing and various other things. And I said, oh, good morning to the waitress. And she said, it's not a good morning. I went, okay. So it's snowing, it's cold. So right, okay. And that immediately from a cultural perspective, 
It's why sometimes people have challenges with Google Translate is when you translate, you have to translate in the local culture and dialect as well as the actual words. And that is something that I learned a lot from, from working with, with people in Russia. It's a very different culture and, and, and way of doing hospitality. That's a fantastic story because that's, you know, that's very similar to the American, how are you, you know, or how yeah. are you doing today? Or, you know, it's what people say it, but they don't really want an answer right there. You said, good morning. <laughs> yeah, I, I was <laughs> told. <a> contradiction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I so, sat, go ahead. I saw I start having my coffee felt, feeling like I've been told off. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So talk to me more a little bit about digital and where you're using Google Translate and where you're using professional translators now. So I think over the years, I think this is a a global problem. A lot of people have lost the ability to write, like write good content, create, you know, I think photography and video and everything else has become a lot easier for people and people have got a lot better because of iPhones and and other devices. Visual content has actually got way better than when we launched digital back in in 2010. You know, some, I remember some of the early days that, you know, hotels used to always, if it was a hotel with a small bedroom, all you got is photos of a shiny tap. Yeah. the, The internet was easier to trick people in some ways. And I think people probably read more as well as people used to write more. And so I think now there's a great importance put on video and interactive and photography and social media with regards to the visual part of of content. So I think when I started out, we used to work with translators, particularly for Umi Hotels. Our target markets, apart from Americans, were, were France, Spain and Germany. And we would get core content as part of that journey for a customer from finding us to wanting to book, making sure that it made sense. So it wasn't a pure Google Translate translation. It was an actual translation of how an Italian or a Spaniard or a Frenchman would, would, would search for something. So, you know, hotel doesn't always translate to hotel. You know, it's different in different uh, countries particularly when you look at hostels, it means very different things in different different countries too. So it was very important. But one of the things we did when we created Umi Hotels was really try and understand the customer journey and who our customer was. So the way that in 2008, once we were, I think, on our fourth iteration of our website then, and I didn't have an agency of my own, so we were spending quite a lot of money on web design then, because in 2007, they launched the iPhone. Steve Jobs launched the iPhone. And so immediately people's ways of searching and reading changed. And so I think from 2007 onwards, people's attention span has dipped. And therefore, where you are today is that translation has to be relevant to what they're looking for immediately. And if it is about booking a room, when they get to book a room, it needs to have a similar flow and experience to what the content was. Within the hotel sector, the tech stack is not always integrated. And what that means is if you go to a lot of hotel websites, you'll be redirected out of the website to a booking software. Mm-hmm. So it's a complete, sometimes a completely different experience, even today, where it doesn't feel like you're booking on that website. You're on a phone 
we had technical issues earlier. You, you, even with that, you'll lose interest. You'll, you'll go on to booking.com, you'll go on to Expedia, you'll know it's safe through the app. So from a translation perspective, it's really important to think about how if you are putting translations onto the website and someone has searched uh, L'Hotel uh, Londra rather than London, is once they've gotten to that page, the landing page is translated and it's, it's true translation rather than Google Translate over, overlay, that when they get to the booking experience, if that is what you're trying to get them to do, that, that there is a flow of that, that, that booking and content pattern. What is also interesting within hotels is that in the UK alone, there's probably about 100 to 120 booking engines on offer to hotels. Wow. Easily. So that's one country. You know, you times that regionally or globally, and it means that it's, you know, if you're an independent hotel, you have great choice. Some will go for the cheapest. Some will be more marketing focused and, and feel about the ones that integrate better. Some say they've got artificial intelligence. Some have payment gateways. And so it's hard for the hotelier, but it's also really hard for a consumer because often you don't have a consistent feel when you're looking around. What I also think is that sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with it, there's plenty of industries that are the same where actually using a online travel agent, booking.com or Expedia as your main source of traffic, if you feel you don't have the skills or the, the budgets to invest in your own translations and so forth, is that paying 15 to 20% commission through an online travel agent may be a better solution from a, from a business perspective. I don't believe that because I think you can get better ROI doing stuff yourself. But almost going back to the original question, translation should be part of a bigger marketing concept and making sure that the technology and that customer journey flows through. If you have a mid-range hotel, I know in, in America, particularly with the big brands, you've got so many different ranges. You've got upscale, upper upscale, side scale, you know, there's every scale of type of hotels. But let's say, you know, the average three three star hotel, your market will be potentially groups, potentially young couples, potentially young families, potentially tourists from abroad, potentially business people. You've got a really wide mix. At that price point, most people just want to book. And therefore, whether it's translation or technology or however that flow is, you want to make it as easy for someone to book. Mm -hmm. If you've got a luxury resort on a beach in the Caribbean, there's a lot of dreaming. And because of the high transaction value, people may actually want to email or phone or live chat and talk about a lot. It's not just a pure transactional relationship with that customer. Mm -hmm. So you may need to look from a translation perspective at, at a lot more elaborate content. So again, I guess Mexican resorts, although you get, they get a lot of customers from probably the UK as well as the US, there's also great affinity from the Spanish-speaking markets. So if they have, let's say, this beautiful luxury resort has a beautiful website, but they also have a wonderful like What's On magazine or downloadable magazine, and it's only available in English, then you're not interacting, you're not dreaming with that Spanish speaker. They may speak English, but they probably feel more comfortable speaking in their, or reading in their first, you know, first language. So I think it's, it's a lot of the translation piece goes back to what your product is and, and, and understanding the customer and making sure that all matches up. 
Yeah, that's really fascinating to think about that way, you know, in that specific industry of how you have to segment out and it goes back to knowing your buyer and your buyer's journey and what you're going to need in there. So explain to me a little bit more about, you know, I have a small boutique hotel and I translate my website. The buyer goes through it. So you've done a good quality translation. You know, the IRI is going to be there. You've optimized for search. Now they click through to the booking site. How can they control the translations to make sure it's similar and consistent all the way through? So that's very much dealing with that booking software company. It's often third party. I mean, there's some huge global companies, but there's also a lot of smaller regional ones. And it's kind of amazing. You know, we've, with the digital, I've seen hotels that spent a fortune, all sorts of marketing. And then you get to book and you can't book, you know? And so there's no point. No. You know, Amazon don't do big adverts on the size of their trucks. So you just like the truck. They do it so you buy something. Right. Uh, hotels are way better. I mean, they've been lagging behind, but the whole understanding, the ability to track ROI through AdWords, through other sort of paid search, through even, you know, organic search and whether they're coming through an Italian page and whether people are buying different languages, you can see. And I think most hotels are a lot sharper on that. But I think, and what's happened over the, probably the last three or four years, if you forget COVID, was that I think because they've got sharper, they've challenged the technology providers more. This doesn't work for me. I remember we built our own booking engine uh, in 2010 for the Umi Hotel piece. And we had a built-in booking engine. We had, which you can't do anymore, but... It was very, I could have an average rate, average purchase price per keyword, which you can sort of do, but with GDPR regulations and changes in data, it's quite difficult now. We had the opportunity to have a shopping basket. You had a lot of additional things that you could purchase. It worked pretty well. Discount coupons and, and all sorts. I'm not a technology person, but if I was, I probably would have scaled that up to something much. Because I just didn't feel for what we did, there was actually anything out there. Now there's great choice, but it's about the hotelier and the market. It's... Also, in, in bigger hotels, sometimes marketing and sales and, and management don't talk as well as they should. But actually, it's very much that whole user journey, which starts when someone searches hotel in Boston to when they've left and receive a questionnaire afterwards and in between. And I think having that whole understand that journey and hotels are much better at it now is what's really important. And that includes translation and technology and conversions and uh, and everything else. And, you know, if people are going to spend money on translations in Italian and they hope they're going to get Italian business, there has to be more than just a translation on the website. You know, are you doing PR? Are you doing paid search? Do Italians even travel here? And I, I think because there's so much more data now and there's so much more data shared, I think that the hotel industry has realised that They've got to invest in themselves and invest in their understanding and their knowledge to make sure that what they do spend gets a better return. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful point to make that it has to be all stages along the buyer's journey. And I know there's a lot, a lot of tourism organizations in the United States that put it all out in English. And I just I know they're missing the international visitors, even though a lot are coming to to certain cities around the States. Yeah, and what about the Google Translate plugin or machine translation? Where Do you use that at all? 
Yeah, we have it on, on, on certain sites. And I think where it's more transactional, I think I think that works fine. Again, it, it depends, you know. Google Translate's got a lot better, <laughs> you know, and but it's not perfect. And it, again, I think sometimes it depends on your price point. I think if people at a lower price point are probably more forgiving than mm. people at a higher price point. If you're paying $100 a night, I won't use any brands, but $100 a night at a hotel on the motorway in the States compared to, you know, maybe somewhere in Santa Monica, you know, on the seafront, and that's $1,000 a night. If you are, you know, a high net, high net worth or a luxury traveler, and you've clicked on a button that says Italian and it's Spanish, you may be like, mm, you know, that's not very professional. And it's, again, going back to that customer journey. And so it's where it, it's best. I mean, obviously, a lot of hotels, particularly independent ones, cannot afford to translate into every, every language. And every language, yeah. To, to do it live. Booking.com, or Priceline, as it's known in the States, about eight years ago, had, I think it was something like between 500 and 1,000 translators around the world translating all of their pages live mm-hmm. without translation to make sure that it all translated properly in all the content. And, you know, they're, if not the biggest, they're one of the biggest, you know, accommodation platforms for purchasing in the world. Mm-hmm. And you know, that helped them a lot because, you know, they were fighting with Expedia to be number one. They did a lot of page search aggressively against each other. And the better quality score you get, the lower, you know, the lower the lower the cost of that click. And translation is part of that. And therefore, they invested in content when it was still important for it to be more written than it was visual. Mm-hmm. And, and it seemed, at that time, it seemed to really work for them. And that translation piece became more important than just that Google Translate plugin. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting because I think the the lower price hotels can't afford to translate in every language. But if you go back to know who your visitors are and you see that you have a lot of French and Spanish visitors, we'll take those two languages, build out a landing page, which is a, a few hundred dollars, and then make sure your booking site is translated. You're going to beat the competition who just has the plug-in in yes exactly and i think that's that's you know where we've done we've done hotel marketing 101 here um yeah. but, no, but it, it's it makes a lot of sense but you know a lot of particularly in europe covid's been really tough before that a lot of costs increased it's really tough running hotels today it was tough when i did it but i, I feel it's tougher now customer expectations are higher you know, inflation has kicked in with electricity and gas and wages and everything else. It's hard to recruit, it's hard to retain. And there was been a bit of a messy place. And therefore, often when there's a crisis, and this has been a long crisis for a lot of people, marketing is one of the first things people cut, which is madness, and training, which is also madness, which is why the hospitality sector is struggling globally post-pandemic, because some didn't market and a lot didn't retain and recruit and train staff so it's probably no surprise but it, it's kind of sad because it's you know i've been to the states a lot this year and you know a lot, a lot of hotels can't run at full capacity you know they pretty much ask you to clean your own room which from a sustainability point of view is probably right, right. but it's not what they want to offer they can't offer anything else and so sometimes i think all those crises means that 
you know, a small hotel goes, oh, I've got too many things to worry about rather than translate to my website. Maybe they can't afford a marketing manager. Again, a small independent hotel here, maybe 40 or 50 rooms in the States, it's probably 100 to 120. So um, a lot of it depends on scale and whether people or the owners really believe in investing in marketing and whether they see that, that they can get a return from it. And probably a lot have been burnt over the years by spending a lot of money on things and not really thinking it through and therefore think, oh, I'll just give it to an OTA. They'll sell it for me. I don't retain the guest and I have to pay commission, but I don't have a marketing manager who I don't know how to manage or they won't waste my money, which I don't think ever really is a waste, but that's a perception that some people have. Right, right. But And I think it goes back to understanding marketing and understanding how to manage someone and set goals and requirements around it. Yeah, I wrote a book on global marketing. And one of the examples I used in there was TripAdvisor. And this is back to the Google Translate, that they have a team of professionals that do the human translation for all the original content that they put out. They keep, they use translation memory and they set up the format. So it's always the same when somebody goes in to look at a listing, but then the customer reviews, they use Google translate because that's just, you know, there's so many reviews that are coming in yeah. all the time and you can get the gist. Is it good or is it bad? Is what people are looking for. So yeah. I thought they, I thought they had done a good job of, of being strategic about where they use yeah, I think that, that probably came about from what Booking.com did because they really, yeah. Booking.com really grew exponentially from 2007 to 2011 and 12. I mean, they're still very big, but there was this whole thing that it was very, and I've been fortunate enough to meet a few of the very senior staff there, really smart marketing. Uh, they match it with. You know that you can you can rent an apartment, you can do hostels, you can do luxury hotels. Everything was on Booking.com, but a lot of people didn't really know the brand. A lot of affiliate schemes that they used, and they did a TV advert. And I remember I was obviously running hotels then, but they included hostels, they included yurts, they included everything, and it was like Booking.com, Booking.anywhere, and that was a, a big thing because that was like right, okay, and this was in every country around the world, major major country around the world, and translated. So if you're going to do spend all that money on a TV ad and people go to your website or your app, it needs to be a good user journey. And it's got to have that translation, particularly if you're doing a Spanish advert. Right. <coughs> Sorry, frog in my throat. Yeah. Um, now, and, yeah. It, and it goes back to, you know, that what you said at the beginning is, is if you speak English, you just assume everybody's going to, but something like 7% of the global population is a native English speaker. And 90% of the people who are bilingual would rather have content in their native language. And if you're talking about something about booking, booking, particularly travel or hospitality for pleasure, you've got to get that emotional side in there. Yeah, no, and I think what individual hotels website has an advantage over an aggregator like a TripAdvisor or Booking.com. Uh-huh. change things regularly you can you can put personality to it you can particularly that luxury space you can you can make it sing you can make it make people dream yeah. and i think where people do you know some of the luxury hotels we've worked with and you know the game reserve Virunga national park they've had some really bad pr because they've had there's a lot of political issues in there the congo but you see a photo of a gorilla in their jungle you know it's it's amazing look you're smiling 
I think yes. you generally see the photo. And so actually there's so much opportunity. You know, there's a, a hotel I love in the Caribbean called the Sandpiper in Barbados. And they have some amazing drone footage or the, the barman called Harold who does cocktails on the beach. And you just look at it, you feel warm. You know, that's that dreaming stage that makes you want to dream. And that's, you know, one side of it. But when I travel to the universities in the States, often it's a very transactional thing. I look at price and location and that's it. And I just yeah. want it to be quick and easy. And I, I, I use one of the larger brands in the States. Obviously, we don't want to do plugs because that's that's uh, unless you want plugs. But It's up to you. If you like okay, the brand so, you want to plug uh, them, plug them. <laughs> okay, uh, it was Marriott. Um, yeah. in the, it has a good point program and frequent stayer and so for business travel it's I do, great I do, yeah I do it through the, the app or the website I can type in the name of the university and it's there it's just easy and they recognize the loyalty of it as well you can change it to local currencies it's all it's all simple it's easy you know? and it's that whole again going back to that booking journey for that transactional stay I want it quick, I want it easy, I want to press a button, they've got my credit card details, I've got, I don't need to faff around with anything. Yeah. You know, I turned up in Atlanta at 11.30 at night, the key was ready for me, I went to my bed and I slept. There was no, yes. but when you go on a luxury holiday or if you've got kids, you've got a family trip or you're going away for Thanksgiving or whatever it may be, maybe it's a whole difference, but you want the faff, you want the cocktail when you check in, you want to be told when breakfast is or where it is and all of all of the facilities because you're there for a week or two weeks but if you're staying somewhere for a night and you're at a certain price point people just want simplicity yeah and, and, and that's why the journey has to include the personal interaction in the hotel and why i always felt it was important that the receptionist knew what we were doing with marketing mm-hmm. so it was all part of it and also if you're going to advertise a lot to italian and spanish do you have an italian and spanish speakers on the desk yeah. And that's what we always had. London's a great city for that. There's a lot of language spoken here. Yes. And so we 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 would often have a team on the front desk. There was like seven languages spoken or eight languages spoken. So we were always able to communicate. One of the things we veered away from, partly because we would have to change our service so much, was the Chinese market. And a lot of hotels in London back in the late 2000s, did a big push for Chinese uh, travellers. A lot booked through travel agents, so it's less about your website. But internally in the hotel, you needed you need Chinese staff, but you also needed Chinese menus and information in the rooms, potentially Chinese channels on the TV, all of that sort of stuff. And so, again, without sounding like a broken record, it's that whole customer journey piece. Is, does it all fit together? Um, right. And it's, it's all the way through. And then, you know, trying to personalize it as much as possible. Right. And I think that's what's so important, too, when you're picking who you're going to do your translation with. Can they work with you on your strategy? Because the menu that you translate to give out in the restaurant or, you know, QR code is the same menu that you can put up on your website. So you don't have to translate it twice. So work strategically to leverage that translation. We are running out of time, Steve. And so I wanted to ask you your favorite foreign word, because I always like to do that. Well, it's, it's my wife is Swedish. And there's a, a phrase, puss and cram, which means hug and kisses. Kisses. Oh. And so yes, so her grandmother, 
is 96 and doesn't speak huge amounts of English and I don't speak huge amounts of Swedish, but we get by and, and whenever I say goodbye, it's head or and then puss and cram and then you give a hug and a kiss. So, yeah. Puss and cram. <laughs> and there's, it's not pronounced. There's a much better way of pronouncing it. My pronunciation is very... Very bad, yes. Oh, that's great. All right, any final recommendations for people in the hospitality doing international? And then where can people reach you if they're interested in working with you or learning more? Sure, yeah. Well, I, I would just say don't be scared of doing and trying stuff. I used to play quite a bit of sport, never quite that high level, but I had some pretty competitive coaches. And even today, everyone talks about marginal gains. You don't have to transform everything in one go. So a 1% improvement on direct business can actually pay for a lot of your marketing. And then you can slowly increment that. So I'd, I'd say focus on marginal gains rather than 100% improvement. And if people want to work with us, the website's umidigital.co.uk or you can find me on LinkedIn, Steve Lowy, and I'd be more than happy to connect. Okay, so Umi Digital is spelled U-M-I. So the website's umidigital.com.uk. <laughs> dot co dot uk and then Stephen Lowy L O W Y on LinkedIn and, and Steve Lowy because otherwise Stephen Lowy is the uh, former CEO of Westfield Shopping Centres so uh, he probably doesn't want to talk to you about hotel marketing okay so look for Steve Lowy and type in U Umi U M I yeah. and thank you so much. I really sure. appreciate talking to you. And yeah, Steve, I'll I'll catch up with you later. I can see that my next call is, oh, whoops, he just went away. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, have a great Thanksgiving and uh, good luck with TK Maxx and we'll be in touch. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If I can ever help in any way, please let me know. Do you know anybody else that might be good to interview on the, for the podcast? I'll have a think. I'll have a okay. think. I know some people who work in, in language travel, which might be particularly interesting for you. There's one yeah. guy in particular. So I'll, 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 I'll see if he's interested. Okay. Or any clients that are doing translation well and have a hotel property. That would be a really interesting one to follow up on this one. Oh, all right. Well, a, I'll, I'll, a tourism site. Yeah. I'll ask around. Okay. I know a lot of people who do it badly, but you don't need to publish that. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I know a lot of people who do it badly, but that, maybe that's not the right the right order. Not our clients, but yeah, a lot of big brands who do translation really, really badly. But well, if you know anybody, we'll get them in, and I can give them suggestions. <laughs> yeah, who do you use for your translation or your free clients' translation? We often push that a lot to the clients and encourage them to do it. The reason being is when you're the middle person excuse the phrase, lost in translation. But if it does go slightly squiffy, it's always our fault, not. Uh, and so over the years, we, I can't remember the name of the company, we used a quite large one for a while. And then we asked them to translate a legal document. And then I happened to have a native speaker of that. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, they'd got it completely wrong. And we paid a fortune for it. And so obviously we were like, right, okay, this needs to be a, we can, we can introduce people, but like it's sometimes not for us to be involved. In London, a lot of the a lot of the marketing teams will use people within the teams to translate because of the number. I mean, we had 40 nationalities in our hotel working there. So, ah. so that will often be the way. And again, 
depend I don't know if someone's good at writing in Portuguese. You just have to hope they are. But yeah, I think All right, certainly- go back and and listen to podcast episode number 4. Randy Roger talking about if you have your employees do the translation. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the the big thing is when is that hotels are on very tight margins and it Yeah. Even for translation companies, it's showing the benefit of it. Yeah. It's not a lot of people say, well, good, Google Translate's fine. My hotel's full. So they don't see the long-term benefit yeah. of it. So, that, no. so I think that's all they'll put on Booker.com. And so I think it's important, but, you know, I think it's – a lot of people have been burned in hotels, including myself. I mean, you know, I had some dogs of people we work with with technology and, and marketing and various other things. Um, yeah. So, cool. All right. Well, I'll keep you posted and – yeah, I was going to get to the other side of London for a dinner. But... Ah, for dinner. I'm just thinking about lunch. <laughs> well, this was really, really good. You really did a nice job of explaining it and clear and, you know, thinking about that whole buyer's journey. And I sit on the multicultural board at the Greater Boston Convention and Visitor Bureau. So as I was listening to you, I'm like, oh, I'm going to send this over to to their marketing person so they can use it and get it out to to their sure. members. Thank you very much. And I hope the accent was OK. <laughs> I understood you enough. Okay. No. <laughs> spellings would have been really weird. <laughs> okay. That's your fault, not ours. But anyway, good yeah. luck. I don't know if you follow soccer, but England are playing USA in the World Cup on Friday. So, what, t- uh, uh, what time is the game? Uh, it's 7, 7 p.m. UK time. So oh, perfect. Know. Midday. Okay. Yeah. Lunchtime um, when, you're, when you're dealing with your food coma. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, that's wonderful. And please let me know if you get to Boston. It would be great to uh, meet you. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.